Go to John chapter 16. I want to talk to you about courage. I want to teach on courage. Courage is that particular quality of spirit that enables us to face danger, difficulty, or pain without yielding to fear. It's that quality of spirit that enables you, me, us to face danger, difficulty, or pain without yielding to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Hallelujah. So I want to go right into John chapter 16, one of my all-time favorite statements Jesus made. It's in an amazing context. We'll look at the context of it, but this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's in fact talking to us. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So when, you, when he's not glib when he says take courage, he's letting us know what the basis of our courage is, that Jesus is an overcomer. He overcame the world, he overcame sin, he overcame death, he overcame the devil. He is the one that conquered. He triumphs. So you get in with him, you have advantage, you have victory. You have the benefit of the security that comes from all of his tremendous provision. And, uh, you know, he, he said, the, I've told you these things. What things? You could look earlier in the chapter about his resurrection foretold. And they were all bewildered. They didn't actually understand what he was talking about. Their eyes hadn't been really opened. They were vacillating. These disciples were a bit insecure. So he goes in after he talks about that, and he says in chapter 16, verse 23, he said, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. This is a heavy assurance in terms of prayer life. And he says further in verse 24, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. God wants our joy full. He wants us to overcome. And Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me, you're going to have security. You're going to have peace. Now, the, the Greek word for peace is irene, and it means, it means tranquility. It means security. It means quietness, settledness. And in fact, one literal meaning of it is set at one again. Set at one again. And a lot of things pull for our attention. And we can become double-minded. Where at one point we're trusting God. And Isaiah 26.3, he said, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast or stayed on him. So sometimes we do that. But then if we let things drift and we become double-minded... That duplicity creates all kinds of tension. It's like a tug of war. Have you, have you guys ever been in a tug of war? I mean, they, they, they get a, a pit and they fill it up with water, let it get all muddy, and then there's a team on one side, a team on the other. They've got a big rope, and the goal is to pull and tug to see which team is stronger, which team has the better, more sure-footedness, and then, you know, the, the team that loses gets dragged into the mud, and the other team triumphs and gloats over it for the rest of their lives. And there, in fact, is a tug of war 
spiritually in our lives. Galatians talks about it, that the spirit sets its desire against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and they're in conflict. And so over and over in the Bible, uh, God would say to, for example, the people that had gotten into the blending, the amalgamation of Baal worship with Jehovah worship under the deception of Jezebel and the weakness of Ahab in Israel, where there was this blending, God anointed Elijah to stand up and say, how long will you halt between two opinions? He said, either God is God or Baal is God, but you, you pick and get off the fence. James talked about it when he said about asking for wisdom, James chapter one, verse five, if any of us lack wisdom, we're to ask of God and he gives to all men generously and he doesn't hold back, and he said, but let, the, let him ask in faith without any doubting, because he that doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. And then it says something so powerful, so, so important. He said, let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I think there's single-mindedness present here, or even those of you that are watching right now, you have, your intent is, I want to put myself into the atmosphere of the teaching of God's word. I want to enter in with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And, you know, we're repentant, we're humbling ourselves, and we're fighting the good fight of faith. Who would be in agreement on that? Yeah. The Bible says, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this verse is chock full of strength. Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace because he is, in fact, the Prince of Peace. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, that's one of his titles, Prince of Peace. And uh, in John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So today, just like then, just like in Jeremiah's time when they were in 597 B.C. when the Israel was taken captive and pulled over into what is now modern-day Iraq, Babylon, a culture that was idolatrous and dark and harsh and lost. He said, be fruitful, build houses, get married, have babies. Don't decrease, increase. And by the way, don't be all condemning and cursing. Pray for the welfare of the city, because as you pray for the welfare of the city, it'll, you'll have welfare as well. And that's a model from the Jewish people. And then it comes into the, early, into the early church, and it's the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And having done all to stand, we stand. There's something invincible that comes out of this verse for me. Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you, and now remember, when they talked about Jesus, they said he speaks with authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were just wrote, parroting what they heard, like a Peanuts movie, you know, where Charlie Brown and Lucy and everybody is in class, and every time they hear the adults, it's just monotone, but not Jesus. Jesus was not monotone. Jesus was not bland. He spoke with authority. 
Because he was sent by God. And he said, I only speak what I hear my father say. I only do what my father has me do. I don't speak on my own volition. I speak what he tells me to say. And he said, I've spoken these things to you for a reason. I've spoken these things to you with an intent, on purpose. Here's why. He said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you will have at oneness, at peace. You'll be, you know, when it says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it's actually praying for the oneness of it. It's so divided right now, it's eventually going to be one. When we pray for peace and we speak peace, we're praying for, and coming against division and we're praying for unity. And, and in our case, we want our spirit and soul and body to be lined up and dialed in and synchronized with heaven. We want our minds renewed. We want our bodies to be a living sacrifice. We don't want to be dominated by our flesh. We don't want to be soulish where we're just tripping out on our emotions and our own thinking and our own opinions and our own conclusions. We want to be fortifying and strengthening our spirit, praying that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Pray that our spiritual lives would get stronger and stronger and stronger. They that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. And when we get with, in his presence, he said, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. He said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace, settledness, focus. 2020 is a year of focus. Boy, have we had opportunity to dial in, get our eyes on Jesus. This is actually a great revival period for the church. This is a great enlightenment period for the world. It's on the verge of something, a breakthrough. And Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. And then he's so honorable and honest and clear and he's not candy coating anything. In the world you have tribulation. That's a word, flipsis, which means pressure, trouble, burden, affliction, pressure, trouble, Burden, affliction, pressure. So much pressure in this fallen world. That's why, you know, when loved ones pass and go to be with the Lord, some of the first things I think about are they don't have pressure. They don't have affliction. They don't have temptation. They don't have disappointment. They don't have to deal with rejection. They don't have to deal with sickness. They don't have to deal with the devil because they're more than conquerors and they're present with the Lord in victory. Well, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So in a very real sense, we have the victory. He said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you'll have peace in the world, you have tribulation. He said, but take courage. The King James says, be of good cheer, which is, they're synonymous. A courageous person is a cheerful person. And a cheerful person is a courageous person. But if you just say, cheer up, man, or be courageous or be encouraged, and you, you stop there, it's a glib just a glib little thing. But when you see what Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He comes in on the scene and demons flee. He comes in on the scene and heals all manner of sickness and disease. He comes in on a mission and actually he's already telling the disciples he's, he's about to die. And they're like, they don't even understand what he's talking about. He says, eventually you're gonna get things clarified and you're gonna go out and be great examples. But right now I want you to be at peace Take your place. Realize. He said, I have overcome the world. Amen. Tribulation. I want you to turn to, uh, to, let's see, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I want to read some things to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
and we'll look at verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it, this underscores something similar. This is Paul talking to Timothy, similarly to Jesus saying, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, take courage. I have overcome the world. Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know what grace is? It's God's willingness to use his power on your behalf and my behalf, our behalf, even though we don't deserve it. It's unconditional love. You've heard the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's his provision. Who in here is glad for this? This is the greatest story ever told and this is the greatest gift ever given. God's very own son who came with the keys to break the strategies and power of the enemy to reverse the forfeiture of what the prototype Adam and Eve failed in. And in all the failure of Adam, Jesus comes in with this robust, amazing, detailed fulfillment that it, you know, if the, the rulers of this darkness had known about it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory because the devil doesn't know everything. God comes in with his superior wisdom and defeats the forces of darkness, conquers the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now listen to this. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is something that's doable. This isn't then where we, as long as we memorize a certain number of scriptures, pray so many hours a day, um, do it all right, that it'll somehow work. That's all performance orientation, and that actually doesn't work because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and none are righteous, no, not one. But yet Jesus, by his provision, makes us righteous, gives us favor, gives us grace, gives us his gifts, and so we're to be strong in that. We're to be strong in the fact that he has overcome the world and that we're in him and that we have the victory because of Jesus and because of our association with him. And Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. And, uh, you know, he's invited and called us to fight the good fight of faith and run in a certain way and fight, fight the fight of faith. I've told you these things. I've spoken these things to you so that in me you will have peace. He said, be of good cheer. Take courage, for I have overcome the world. I like Joshua chapter 1. It's in verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 18. Four times in the first chapter of that book, he says, only be strong and very courageous. Four times, over and over and over again. Only be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Take courage. So again, it's that quality of spirit that enables us to face danger, difficulty, and pain without yielding to, to fear. It helps us to be brave, to be valiant, to be intrepid, to be lion-hearted. And uh, that's what Paul was telling Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said in verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Throughout time, Jesus has given us his word. The promises of God have gone through cycles of generations. The things we've heard, they get taught to us in the presence of many witnesses. And then faithful men take them and teach them. And we reteach them and we share. We're all to be apt to teach. We're all to consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. 
And he says in verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, I think about soldiers, and I think about, really, their life is on the line. You know, uh, it's hard. I remember when we were in Kosovo, and we visited the soldiers and the barracks, and there, there was no circulation in the air. It was really hot, and they were all so fatigued, and there were landmines in places, and there was still sniper fire and guerrilla warfare, and it was bad news. And they had to be in that context and be brave, and they had to overcome. If you study about the trench warfare of World War I in Europe, that was terrible. They had all these trenches all dug up, and people had to, it was such a hardship. It was so difficult. It was so hard. And, and Paul's telling Timothy in like manner, like a good soldier, Suffer hardship, endure, face the tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous in the book of Psalms. This is an Old Testament idea bumped up into the New Testament. And we get familiar with it. It's the way it is. It helps us to say, oh, okay, oh, well. Life isn't the way it's supposed to be. Life is the way it is. Stuff can change. Things can improve. You know how depressing it was when this building was full of mud and, and water and mildew, and it was awful, and God got us through it. Yeah. You know, you, some of you may be facing alarming symptoms in your body, and God has given you courage to face it. God's given us courage to stand in the midst of some of these trials. He gave that to the Jews. He said, look, you're going to be there for 70 years. And the false prophets he was correcting were the ones that were saying it's going to be a quick return. He said, no, no, that, that's not correct. It's going to be a while. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to bear fruit, build houses, not decrease, increase, and don't get a bad attitude toward Babylon. In fact, pray that they will be, there will be welfare there. So as you pray for blessing, there will be blessing coming boomeranging back on you. Did you hear that? Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. And uh, so these are truths that we have to hold to that will fortify us. He said, no soldier, verse 4, in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I'm going to tell you what this means, and I'm going to tell you what it's not saying. First, I'll tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying to be irresponsible and drop your bill, paying your bills and going to work and cleaning your house and caring for your kids and changing diapers and all that stuff. This is not a license. Oh, I don't want to be entangled with the affairs of everyday life. It's not a doctrine or a theology of irresponsibility because there are too many scriptures that say work quietly with your own hands. You know, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And, you know, you're, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. So there's, you've got to judge scripture with scripture. So what, what it's not saying is to, to get all su super spooky, mystical, spiritually and back off of your daily domestic duties. We should have, be faithful and be diligent with our daily and domestic duties. But what it is saying is not to be entangled with the affairs of everyday life. And that's where we've got to fend off distraction. And we are in a moment very similar to the moment of Jeremiah prophesying in chapter 29 where they're in Babylon and it's an interesting kind of situation almost like captivity but later on he says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope 
said, then you'll call upon me and you'll pray to me and I'll answer you and I'll say, here I am. He said, you'll seek for me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found of you, declares the Lord. And you remember when Jeremiah is prophesying this, the context, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they exhibited courage. Paul is telling Timothy, be a good soldier. Be, suffer hardship like a soldier. Don't be entangled in the affairs of everyday life. When somebody in our church joins the military, they become a GI, government issue. And they, in a very real sense, are temporarily giving themselves over to the cause and the purpose of the nation. And that's why we ought to appreciate them for making that kind of stand and taking that effort and going into that dimension. Uh, but they realize it, that they are not, they're no longer their own. <laughs> and so Paul is telling Timothy very similarly, listen, you're a soldier enlisted in active service, so don't get entangled with the lesser things. Keep the big deal the big deal. Get your eyes on him. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So there's the soldier, there's the athlete. We're to run in such a way that we may win. There's training. Pastor John, for example, he gets into cycling during the summer and he runs during the autumn and the winter. And he'll get in, he'll enroll in a half marathon and that kind of thing, and he'll then have to train for it. Because if you train for it, you'll do better in the actual race. If you're light on the training, you're gonna really have a hard time in the actual race. So God is, through Jesus, is saying, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you'll have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, be of good cheer, fight the good fight of faith, be brave, stand up for what you believe. Be more than a conqueror. Pick your fights, but be wise. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Everybody say soldier, athlete, and farmer. See, we're soldiers. We fight the good fight of faith. We're athletes. We run with endurance the race set before us. We're farmers. We sow seeds. We pray prayers. We water the seed with the word. We stand. We're fighters, but we're also athletes, but we're also farmers. We're, we're, we're going with the Lord of the harvest, and we're not going to sleep during the harvest. And we're going to trust God in the midst of all this hostility and all this atmosphere, plagues, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, all this kind of something like 13 hurricanes they're expecting this year. Well, I'm believing God that they'll be reduced. They'll dissipate. I'm, I'm praying. What am I going to do? I'm going to pray. That's what it says here. I spoke these things to you so that in me you'll have peace. And he said, in the world you have tribulation. He said, what things did he speak? He said, among many things up, ahead, up above that, he said he was going to die for everybody. But he also said, you can ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. Jesus spoke these things to us so we would get after it in prayer. And we, we'd see things, and instead of worrying about it, we're going to cover it in prayer. Yeah. Let's pray about everything. You get upset about something on the news, turn the sound down and start to pray about it. Yeah. You, you get upset, upsetting, unsettling information that comes your way, just start to cast your care on the Lord and start to implement. You know... This isn't escapism, and this isn't mind-numbing either. 
I, I mean, I'd, I, it'd be nice to have something that kind of numb your mind, but no, no, we don't get to do that. We've got to be actually sharp and renewed in the spirit of our mind and be thinking Christians that are really engaged as soldiers, athletes, and farmers, strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to give you some examples of, of courage. I love Caleb in the Bible. Caleb is the guy that famously said, we shall by all means possess the land. When everybody had a bad report except his friend Joshua, they all died, and Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of that group that entered into the promised land. And at the end of his, uh, at his 85th birthday, toward the end of his life, after they had conquered and taken possession of the land, he said, now give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day that the Anakim were there, the giants, with great fortified cities, Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken. He said, as my strength was then, so my strength is now. That's courage. David had courage. I got to go to, this, I got to, go to the place where Caleb had the land given to him recently. I got up there in that very area where Caleb said, give me this mountain. It really made me think about it. Then I got to go over and be in the valley where David faced off with Goliath. And both of these places actually haven't been over-commercialized. So they're actually impactful as though you're there in the Bible, period. And in the case of the field where the Philistines were facing off with Israel, and they were seized, and the champion of Gath was mocking the armies of the living God, nine-foot-tall warrior trained from his childhood, from uh, mocking the armies of the living God. And David comes walking up as a 17-year-old shepherd boy, on a mission from his dad, and he, in that moment, doesn't realize that he's just on his mission to do what his dad had said. He had, he had had his sheep take tended to by somebody who would take care of his sheep, so he felt secure about that. And he brought the food that he was, it was, his dad gave him, Jesse gave him, to give to his brother Eliab and his other brother. And when he got there, he heard this mocking, and he, something reared up in this, uh, this, this guy. Courage reared up in, in David. He said, who is this person mocking the armies of the living God? And it was Goliath. And he said, what's the prize for the person that puts a whooping on this giant? And, uh, oh, you get the king's uh, daughter. And, uh, you know, you, he named off a bunch of prizes. And uh, so he, he, he faced off with him. And it said, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of that giant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Everybody say, I will fight. So Caleb said, I will possess the land. Say, I will possess the land. David said, I will fight. And I like what David did. David ran to the battle line. And that's courage. That's courage. But David wasn't flipping about it. David wasn't masochistic or, or crazy. He, he wasn't like a, just being an impulsive uh, a risk taker. Because he said, you know what? He said to the king, he said, sir, I'm a shepherd. And I was tending my sheep. And a lion and a bear came in to mess with the sheep. And I, I put a whooping on him. And he said, the God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he's the one that's going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul was just kind of, well, whatever, here, here's my armor. So this young boy tried on this adult man's armor. Saul was very big, and, and David at the time has, wasn't fully grown, didn't fit him. He said, this just doesn't work. He said, okay, so he, he just went out with a sling and a stone, something that he had 
familiarity with, but he had courage. He had courage. I always enjoy the pictures of Sir Winston Churchill, who at the time was the prime minister when all the, the bombings were going on in Liverpool and Birmingham and, and London. He was in London where the parliament was, where he was serving. They would have air raids at night and the, some of the beautiful neighborhoods would be busted down to rubble. And he would, you would see pictures of him with his bowler hat and his cigar and his cape stomping through the rubble and people would be coming out. And there are pictures over and over again where the prime minister would bother to get out of his bureaucracy stuff and out of his busyness and get right out of the front lines to try to assure the people Listen, we are not giving up. We'll fight on land, on sea. We're going to fight on the seashore. We're not giving up. We're not backing off. And it was a turning point for Britain, and it was a turning point for Western civilization. And it, the key of it was courage. The key of it in the 70 years of Babylonian captivity was courage. Because listen to Joshua, or listen to the three captives, when Nebuchadnezzar built a 90-foot by 9-foot statue of himself. What, a, what an egotist. And he, he says, you got to bow to this, and if you don't, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, which shows how crazy their culture was. That, you know, we're going to get an oven going and throw you in it if you don't do what we tell you to do. That's bad, wouldn't you say? And that's where God said, hey, buy houses, build houses, get married, have kids, have grandkids, have great-grandkids, pray for the welfare of the city. And you're looking at these people, and if you pray for them, the, you, the welfare will come on you. But in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, you know, we are not going to bow to your idol. And um, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. He said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He got so mad, he heated it up seven times hotter. He had the guys throw the men into the furnace, and then it was so hot, and it happened so fast, that the men that were assigned, this is a bummer job. You think you have a bad job? These guys had the job of throwing the Hebrew guys into the furnace. And when they did, they got burned up and they died. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not die. Now, you know, this reminds me of a time when I was working during Bible school and they, we incinerated the cardboard boxes. They had an incinerator in the back of this store I worked in. And I worked uh, uh, where I would unload boxes and, and stock shelves. I did a lot of things at that store while I was going through Bible school, working my way through school. And uh, I would fold up the cardboard, and I just decided I just wanted to get it done. So I, I just put so much cardboard in this, shoved it into this. There's this furnace, the gas-heated furnace, and it's flames all the way around in it, and, it's, and, and you just keep pushing the cardboard in, and it just burns it up turns into ash and you get to collect the ash and throw it in the dumpster. So I pushed, I had put in a bunch of boxes of diapers out on the shelf. So I had these big boxes, I smashed them down, I shoved them in there and I got them in that incinerator. It was, it was on my cart, I had my little red vest with my plastic name tag, my, my tie, my feathered 70s hair, I still have that. And then I pushed, I pushed the cardboard into the opening and I pushed it in just right and it created a chimney effect. And when I got it all in there, I pushed it, and I kind of slipped a little bit, and then I pushed it. The cardboard made a, a little special closed opening, and the flames went. <laughs> and uh, I came up, and I smelled burned hair. And I felt my eyebrows were gone, my eyelashes were gone, 
the, what little wispy sideburns I had, they were gone. My feathered hair was feathered even more with the little burned knobbies on the end of it. I had a prayer meeting there. Lord Jesus, hallelujah, God, Lord, hallelujah. But the guys got thrown in the furnace, and the only thing that burned off of them were their ropes. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I thought there were three that were thrown in there. And there was one like the Son of Man in there. There was a fourth man in the fire. Oral Roberts actually brought this out, and it became one of his most requested sermons, the fourth man in the fire. And basically, these guys had such courage, God had covered them so thoroughly that if Jesus showed up in the fire with them. So the, son of, the Son of Man showed up in the fire with them. And so whatever situations we may be in, God is looking for courage. He wants us to... Only be strong and very courageous. You ever been intimidated? I have. You ever been weakened with the circumstances of your life? I have. You ever been where you, you just started caving into fear? No question about it. Thankfully, though, we know God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Take a deep breath and say hallelujah. Same thing with Daniel, you know. He got caught in a technicality with prayer. And some evil guys had a document that was signed by the king, and it was irreversible. Same thing in Esther's day. There were things that when a king made a decree, they could, even the king couldn't reverse it. That's how rigid their, and legalistic their law was. No mercy, no grace. The only thing they could catch Daniel doing wrong was praying. <laughs> so he's a pretty holy guy. And uh, here's what it says. It says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem, See, and he knew that it was sure death for him. He was going to be thrown into the lion's den. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before the Lord as he had been doing previously. So he, he didn't yield to prayerlessness. The three captives, they even said, you know, even if God didn't deliver us, we wouldn't bow to you, but he will deliver us. But even if he didn't, even if that wasn't part of the deal, we wouldn't bow to you. And that's that courage not to cave into peer pressure. In fact, I'll close with this. Nehemiah, in his day, they were attacking him because he was rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And that was after the 70 years of bondage. The morale of the captives was so worn down and Nehemiah got heard about it from his brother and he got a burden to restore the walls of Jerusalem to revive their confidence when Jesus said I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer take courage I have overcome the world you could feel Jesus building stones and of strength and confidence around his people you know as the mountains are round about Jerusalem so the Lord is round about his people and that he's, he, he surrounds us with favor as with a shield. And that he's the one that has angels encamped around us. And no weapon formed against us will prosper. And so he says to Nehemiah, they're, they're trying to get him to flee and hide out. And he said in ver, chapter 6, verse 11 of Nehemiah, he said, Should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So he said, I'm going to stand. I will stand. I will not flee. Should a man like me flee? And this is the attitude. Let's all stand up on our feet. This is the attitude that Jesus wants to produce in us. He said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. Everybody say peace. peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. Everybody say tribulation. tribulation. 
He said, but take courage. Everybody say courage. courage. I have overcome the world. Say overcome. overcome. Revelation 12, 11 says we overcome the accuser by three things. The blood of the lamb. The fact that Jesus died, and that was the context of John chapter 16. He was sharing with them that he was going to die for their sins, and they didn't even understand it. And then he says, man, up to this point, you know, you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. There are neighbors that are going to get saved through the, as a result of this message. There are as breakthrough that will occur as a result of this message. You're going to, your prayer life is going to take on a fresh tone of confidence. Your soul winning, your sharing of the gospel is going to become more effective and efficient because we're overcomers. In all these things, we overcome. In 1 John chapter 5, he says that whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Let's lift our hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for supernatural strength. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And no, we're really not soldiers, athletes, or farmers, and yet we are. We fight the good fight of faith. We, we do run with endurance the race set before us. And we are sowers of seed, and we are to be fruitful. So we are soldiers. We are athletes. We are farmers. And God, there are people that have been rescued from the pit in this place. There are people that are an answer to prayer on such a level, it's magnificent. You redeem our lives from the pit. God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in each person's life right now. God, what you're doing in each person's heart, each person's life. Lord, you have made us to be more than conquerors. But just in case there are people who haven't surrendered their life to Jesus, this is the international sign of surrender. And we just lift our hands to you, Lord, in submission. We yield to you. And we cry out to you. Lord, in case there's anybody watching or anybody in this room who is not sure of their salvation, God, my prayer is that they will come to know you in just a couple of seconds. Right now, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and his name is Jesus. And if you call upon him and you receive him and you trust him, he's sufficient to turn things around and make you brand new on the inside. Old things pass away and new things come. And Lord, if anybody's been out of track and fallen and drifting, and they need to return. God, I pray for mighty, mighty breakthrough and miraculous breakthrough in their lives in Jesus' name. And God, if there's anybody who's been through massive tribulation and needs a fresh surge of courage, Lord, I'm asking for an encouragement, a supernatural strength to come deep down into the fiber of every person's life. God, I thank you for healing us and we'll be healed, saving us and we'll be saved, delivering us out of temptation, causing us to triumph. God, I thank you that you wipe our sins away like a thick cloud. You set us apart from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Let's say this together. I am an overcomer by the grace of God. Jesus is Lord of my life. I submit and surrender to him. I trust his will to come to pass in me. When I pray, I get answers to my prayers. He inhabits my praises as I worship Him. And having done all to stand, I stand. I speak welfare over my city, over Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Miami, Florida, Houston, Texas, all around the world. We stand and trust you, Father, for a great awakening in the church. 
for a great harvest amongst the lost. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys.